0: Hey, this is Stevie Batiche from Microsoft, and you're listening to Technology.
1: Hi. There you are. There you are. Yes.
0: More, doing the whole countdown thing. Wow, look at that. We're in beta as well. I don't know what you yanks call that state of... Transition, yes, but- it is still really? beta. It's beta over here. How are you? Yeah, well, you're so excited. I'm still taking umbrage a little bit of umbrage from your uh critique of the British brogue last time we okay,
1: listen. I love
0: inadvertently got together.
1: I love British accents. Okay, <laughs> everyone in America loves British <clears throat> accents. British men should have no problem getting laid in America, like you yeah. get off at the airport. And you're just going to be swarmed with women.
0: We save ourselves in yes. Britain. We take the energy and we bring it up. We literally hump it across the Atlantic. I want to ask you a question. People who are listening to this won't be able to see it, but behind you is a panoply of frames inside yes. which are some memorable moments, doubtless, in your life, the lives of hundreds of other people around you. You're quite a storied lady, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, none of this is actually
1: like, I just like collecting weird things like I've got this picture of uh I grew up in near Coney Island in Brooklyn so this is Whoa. Coney Island this is a, a picture of me done by a New Yorker cartoonist about one of my nightmares I've got I like birds a lot so I've got pictures from the Audubon uh some Twin Peaks art I'm a big Twin Peaks fan and actually my uh my Substack is is very Twin Peaks it's becoming more Twin Peaks inspired so to speak
0: that's right. Let's just back up for a second because there's a little bit going on there. Yeah. A New Yorker illustration of you or your nightmare or any one of those things.
1: <laughs> um, this this uh, cartoonist, Emily Flake, uh, she does a live show where she brings people um, like writers and other people she likes to tell their nightmares on stage. And I told uh, one of my nightmares about a like I always have these nightmares about like a secret restaurant or something that I need to find. It's something very secret. It's a recurring dream. So uh, she drew a picture of me, you know, trying to trying to find this restaurant like live on stage. And it, it was a fun time. It makes no sense if you don't know my nightmare. But to me, I see it, and and there's just terror in there. Just just. Terror, and I love I love looking at that every day.
0: Even in your closed-eyed state, you're yeah. still thinking about the food scene.
1: Yeah, food. Uh, d- there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. <laughs> I mean, it's just so much. I have ADD, so it's always happening.
0: And do you ever get to the point then where you wonder whether you're awake or asleep when it comes to food? Because I'm thinking, Esmeralda popping corn, obviously mm-hmm. the subject of your your latest to raid to the masses, which I think is fabulous. But um, do you you ever get to the point where you're like, you you actually think you're in a dream? Or do you ever, when you're dreaming, think you're awake? Because I have those states, right? I do.
1: I I don't know who to
0: talk to about it.
1: I've had, (laughs) I used to have recurring dreams about my teeth falling out, which is a really, really common dream. I don't know why so many people have this dream. It's really weird. Like we all have this collective subconscious where our teeth are falling out. So for a while I was having this dream and then I got to a dream where I was like, my teeth are falling out, oh, don't no. And in my head I said, wait, I have recurring nightmares about this. I should just wake up and I did that and it was great. So I was doing that for a while, but then I got to the dream where I tried to do that and everybody else in the dream was like, no, this time it's really happening. And then I undid the whole thing. So, um, you know, my dreams and my reality sometimes are very much at odds with each other like my head's like now. Fuck you. Fuck Where you. Where do we
0: even begin with you? Ah! Yeah. A caricature of a person in a person's body this with a caricature beautiful. that yes. continues, that lives on through you. I guess you've got all these different faces. It's very sure. interesting, actually. In that, I'm imagining that when you write, and I've read a lot of your gear. And by the way, I mean, let, let's be honest. I'll do a bit of editing, but we'll see how we go along. But fundamentally, you're listening right now to Alison Robicelli. Am I right in saying that? Yes, it sounds very you write, Italian. You it
1: correctly, yes.
0: For a change, all is on, yet all is off, because that's what we're going to talk about in a bit, the edible erotic adventures of Esmeralda, popping corn, an amazing piece of work. I've not caught up to your very last instalment, because that's just hot off the press, but we'll get stuck into that in very short order. But when we talk about you and your your world, I mean, so I got to know you through your amazing work around what we call the Great British Bake Off. Yes. You call it something entirely different or quite similar, but not the same. Yeah, thing.
1: we call it the baking show because there's a I don't know if you get Pillsbury baked goods over in the UK, but they started. There's a famous baking competition that's listed, existed since like the 1930s called the Pillsbury oh. Bake Off. Mm. They have the trademark to it, so you got—they can't use it over here because they'll get sued. So they changed it to baking shell. So we have a, an alternative version.
0: And there's a patriotic thing going on here, or should I say anti-patriotic? Because you don't really want to give us that much credit by prefixing the show with "Great British" anyway, Do You, no, you no, want no, some kind of. Ownership it's the over.
1: britishness that we love about it because america is a fucking disaster and everybody here is terrible all the time but then the bake-off came and it was on, it was on public television which doesn't get any respect in america and it was just nice and it was kind. And it's like this this idea that we all have of England where everybody's like looks like the queen and you guys have tea parties and you have, you know, you're polite and stuff. And and it was the civility we couldn't get enough of. We're like, oh my god, like nobody's sabotaging each other or stabbing itself in the back, and people care about each other. And that's very foreign to us as Americans watching that on television
0: what's interesting is so you've had the office from us yes you've had great british bake-off have you had master chef
1: we do have MasterChef. i just i honestly don't watch any food television except for bake-off i it's like you know you can't do your job like you, you do your job all day and then when you're unwinding you don't want to watch tv shows about what you did at work all day so that was like my thing. I mean, Gordon Ramsay's is everywhere in America. He is just all... It's like the James
0: Corden of the food scene.
1: Yeah, we have James Corden too now, and we. I haven't forgiven you for that yet, because he just won't fucking go away. He, like, showed up, and now he's in everything. And it's like, I don't need this much James Nobody needs this much
0: James Corden. I just didn't expect the ire, Allison at all. I thought, as a cuddly, bear-like chap, ah. Uh, Favourite gesture to you, you know, it's like, how can we how can we make Americans be infuriated by us in some respect after we've done enough things to you. What's the latest gesture? And it was James Corden. And I thought, he's been a bit of an atom bomb. I, I thought that he was very warmly regarded in the States because, like you say, he kind of pops up everywhere. He's like some sort of virus in these viral times. And, uh, and yeah, I suddenly heard this sort of turn and, you know, I thought carpool karaoke was the best thing on American TV and you know, all of a sudden people want to Propel him into the Atlantic and never see the guy again. It feels like there must have been some sort of turning point in that relationship you got I mean, with the, him. That's...
1: The corporal care—I don't know. Uh, I was never a fan of the corporal karaoke. That's Ooh. just that's my personal thing. Like I'm, I, I'm kind of have like darker, weirder, like I grew up on Monty Python and stuff like that. So this is a little bit too mainstream, but now James Corden is like on in every commercial, he's just all over the place. And it's like, just go away, dude. Like, come on. Like, I mean, there's a, a little bit of James Corden is fine, But not a ton of James Corden. And we have, like, you know, we got, like, John Oliver from you and, like, Craig Ferguson. And James Corden replaced Craig Ferguson on the TV show, the late show in uh, America. And I was a huge Craig Ferguson fan and still am. So James Corden, for me, was, like, a big step down.
0: I feel a bit like so you know when you've got the uh, you've got a pan of food say you've got a, a steak and you've 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 seared your steak and you've got those beautiful burnt bits that you make the or the sauce with afterwards a bit of brandy a bit of cream you'll scrape up the bits at the bottom well I feel like James Corden was the steak uh, it might be like a sirloin we yeah. have a sirloin I don't think you do sir do you do sirloin yeah we do everything. Okay. Yeah, we, we you have different stuff. names for different things, and it's like yeah. I feel like we invented these things as well. But you've got the, the Craig Ferguson, he's like the burn bits on the bottom that it make a beautiful yeah. sauce with the jus. And actually, people look at the steak and go, That's what it's all about. They're wrong.
1: Yes. The steak yes, that is, is made a great with analogy. the salt.
0: It's a like, terrible analogy. But you'll forgive me that because it's a Tuesday. No. We've made it two days into the week. We're not yeah. doing bad so far. But I don't you
1: know talk- if you in Britain ever got to see uh, any of what Craig Ferguson was doing over here. But you can catch some of it on YouTube, uh, his late night show. And I mean, his his sidekick was a, uh, a robot skeleton. Uh, he had like puppets um you know it, it, it was wonderful i'll send you later this this great dance number he did for doctor who he was like the only person who was like putting a lot of doctor who stuff on television over here mm. besides bbc Good for him.
0: We, we can do no wrong um yeah. and talking about sort of this all sort of anglicization then i mean it's clearly struck a chord with you because this amazing piece of work i've not seen anything of its like before Uh i know you're a little bit proud of it and justifiably so because it is wonderful but you know i i got stuck into the edible erotic adventures of esmeralda popping corn and i felt like i felt almost homesick for england it felt a little bit like you won't have seen the uh the the sort of the 1950 the jeeves and worcester the the sort of the um we had a we had a great character, um, and it'll the name will come to me later. But he was he was um like an old fashioned pilot and he had his scarf and it was flapping behind him in the wind. Bunt bunter bunter bunt. No, it'll come to me. You're anyway, right. and, and it, it felt and and do you know what? It was like you somehow seem to have captured an era that in the UK has been long forgotten. And I don't know how you came up with the idea, but Set the scene for this because it's an amazing adventure that I sense will not only run and run, but I think the time that it's arrived with us, this yeah. sort of cultural moment with everybody talking about the metaverse, I can see this going in a million different directions. Paint the picture.
1: I mean, so can I. But my this idea, like you said, it, it's so much bigger than my head. Like it just, it, I don't even know how to contain it. Um, it's. I came up with this ridiculous idea for um, food porn. A, a few years ago, I'd seen an article about how Bigfoot porn was really big on, Am- Bigfoot porn. And I was like, what? And, and I went on Amazon, there's all these novels about people wanting to bang Bigfoot. And then there's all these novels about like people wanting to have sex with dinosaurs and stuff. And I was like, what is happening? This is insane. So I was like, "Well, there's got to be some stuff about food," and there was nothing about food, and I I just thought it was like the funniest thing because, I mean, sex can be really really funny, you know, like the words like boobies, you know, it's just it will never stop being funny. It's very sophomoric So I mean, I, I tried to write it at the time, and it was really hard. It's not as easy to write because it's like so. Ugh, like some of the stuff that I'm doing in here is like, oh my God, like, I don't want to do that with a ham in real life, but I have to like push myself. <laughs> I don't like how oh. we had just gotten to a point where, you know, like the world is burning down and I love being funny and I want to do something really, really stupid, you know, like something that existed entirely out of reality that was so batshit and inane and Dumb and I was like, this is it. Like the name uh, of Esmeralda popping corn, it just, I was walking down the street and it just snapped into my head and I burst out laughing. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I have ever heard. And like I just announced, the name of the uh, the town it's taking place in Lake Nipples, which again is the stupidest thing I could possibly think of. It's like a little Twin Peaks ish. So this whole thing, it's like it's kind of like an East Enders, like Twin Peaks, uh, erotic romance novel. And there's all sorts of like different characters. I mean, this is just a big farce. But every character and every storyline is going to be written kind of in a different tone. Like you have your romance novel with Esmeralda and you kind of have your like slapstick comedy with the Tashmans and then I'm introducing people who are like, it's gonna be like medical drama or, you know, intrigue and mystery, uh, but it's all a farce. It's just a, a bunch of silly things in a world that is so ridiculous. And it's, it's you know, what I loved about Python has just been a, a huge influence on me since I was a kid. And I realized years ago I was teaching a humor class and a humor writing class and I keep talking about the sounds that words make. Now people don't like, you know, it's it's flat on a page, but to me, I'm always like it's kind of musical the way I write. And I, I think about like where consonants goes and the lyrics. And I realized the cadences I was using are are like I pretty much stole them from Python. I hadn't realized that, but it was just it's so in my head, those little rhythms. So it's that brilliant like dichotomy of of freaking brilliance and Abject stupidity, you know. Like you have, you know, uh, f- Greeks and uh, the Greek and uh, German philosophers playing football, and then you have like Twit of the Year, and then you have spam, and and it's like there's nothing not on the table. So that's what I want to do with it. Like, yes, there's sex, but it's just also, it's just so beautifully, brilliantly, dumb, and just takes us out of all this.
0: You know, you're in the hands of a really confident writer who's comfortable in her skin when you have that rhythm and you mentioned the cadence it's something that yeah. i'm obsessed with as a, a wannabe writer is seeing how people can express themselves just by extending or contracting the sentence yeah um it's it's like breathing it's like a tango and i think until you become a professional writer as you are uh-huh. i don't think you fully accept or acknowledge the power that you have Mm -hmm. just by expressing what's in your mind and crazy mind though it is, and that needs to be applauded in another format and actually express it, verbalizing it, but in pixels, however you want to call it, it's a very rare talent. And I think I've always said this before is that when you're writing, there are two kinds of writings there is the writing that is formal and has to be completed and there is writing that comes from, I suppose it's a heart and a head thing, when you write with the intention to express yourself, Mm -hmm. you never know the destination and you never know the path you're going to take to get there and it's beautiful and one minute, and like you were saying, I mean I want to unpack a little bit about uh, Lake Nipples because I'm really curious as to whether you (laughs) It's such a stupid well, I'd love to know whether you actually create, even in your mind, a map that you have to negotiate and navigate, or, or you know whether you've actually literally illustrated it. Whether it's going to make one of those frames behind your head right now. But yeah, I just I love this whole idea about the the these these sort of two forms of writing, and one is very much official, which is what we all do, mm-hmm. and I think this is born. The idea that anyone's a writer in much the same way as if you've got a phone, mm-hmm. everyone is a photographer. But then you've got that state two that if you, you know, I go sort of state one and state two, like Daniel Kahneman thinking fast and slow, your, your state two of writing is the writing that only somebody who is fully comfortable, who has <laughs> spent their life thinking and joking and playing and creating, that's your world. I don't you know, know if that kind of I mean, rings true yeah, with you. Yeah
1: sense. I mean, I I got into writing accidentally and very late. Like, I owned a, a bakery and I was writing a blog for our website and then people were like, this is really good because I didn't care. Like, that's the thing. I write the way I talk and I yeah. didn't want to be bound by formality. Like, it just, it's really painful for me. Like, just in my, in my personal life and, and everything. I never wanted to be like everybody else. It's just really, really boring. It's like a fate worse than death to me. So, uh, and then I ended up writing my first book, which was a uh, memoir slash cookbook, but that was also in the frame of the bakery. And then um, when the bakery closed, I couldn't figure out what to do with my life. And I had been writing all these guest pieces for food sites for years because they would just ask me to do them, like not even for money, like, oh, you're good, do this. And I was like, Okay. And then it was kind of like, I, I I was just good at it. Like I was just, I mean, I still don't feel like I belong, but no writer does. I think that's the secret. It's like when you're really doing the right job, you don't feel like you have any idea what you're doing and you're, I'm making this up as I go along, which is great because like I was at the takeout for two years for a very specific reason. Like I was freelance before that and I'm, I do food and humor at the same time, which is Bananas, it's not two things that seem to go together, but I love the idea of taking things that we're not expecting to be funny, and suddenly you have something funny there. I love that element of surprise, and I love, and it's food, it should be fun, you know? Um, And But I was like writing for Bon Appetit and and all these other big things, but I was always like a a novelty. Like uh, once in a while, like we could use something funny. And I went to the takeout, which is owned by The Onion, it's part of The Onion, because I wanted to make show people that food writing and food news and everything could be funny all the time. And I did that for two years. And I was, I'm really proud of the work I did. Uh, I loved it. And I really feel like we helped legitimize humor and food writing. Mm. But I was getting stagnant. And I don't like being stagnant as a writer or a person. I'm like, I want to, I can't coast. I, you know, it, it just gets boring. So I'm still doing technical right? like all that other stuff and like writing for corporations and stuff, that pays the bills. I'm doing a lot of that to pay the bills while I, I focus on the Substack. stack. Uh, and this isn't necessarily, I, I've never written fiction before this. Uh, I've always been a nonfiction writer and um, wow. I'm pushing, I, I'm pushing myself and trying new things and experimenting. Like I have, I have an idea of what's going to be happening in my head, but every week I come up with new ideas for this thing and it keeps getting bigger and bigger in my head. So I have a roadmap, but I've already like deviated from that roadmap like five times. I love doing that. I love seeing like, oh, I have this chance to do something. Let's do it. Let's let's. Try something new. And I want to keep, like, I love the the Substack model because it allows me to take risks that no one in their right mind would or should let me take. Like, this is unpublishable. I'm okay. I love that it's unpublishable. I love love not working with an editor for this because so many editors are like, this is too far. You need to cut this. I mean, Bake Off, there are so many jokes you guys never got to see that were horrifying. But now, like, the dumber or... Grosser, something is, I can put it in and no one can stop me. And maybe this will legitimize food porn or, you know, ridiculous Substack serialized soap operas. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, Dave. I don't
0: <laughs> make it up as it's I go so along. terrifying to me that you are attempting to professionalize something yeah. that is so beautiful an artifact in it being random. I love the fact that you've got a roadmap for this thing because as a fan, and one of your many subscribers, what's great is knowing that this is going to carry on. And it's good to know as well that for us, it's almost like a grab bag of inspiration, yeah. but for you, it's almost like we're on this journey together. And it, they, that, that relationship I'm guessing is a little bit different to the conventional author reader vibe in that authors typically will have a very clear path. And though you've got a roadmap, we don't know what's happening next week, probably in the same way that you don't write yet either. <laughs> and that's what's great.
1: I have an idea. And part of me was like, because I have this whole thing written out um, through the end of the year. And I could like, if I lock myself in a hotel room for two weeks, I could write it all. But I like writing it on a week by week basis, like yeah. right up to the point. Because I've realized like that there's some weeks that are just really, really tense geopolitically and social or whatnot. And on a week like that, I'm like, I need to go balls to the wall and make sure it's dumber and stupider and so utterly detached from reality, like figuring out like where we want to go as far as jokes or what I want to introduce. And I also like having that freedom of when I come up with a really good idea, I want to be able to incorporate it right away. I don't want to say like, oh, well that's not according to the plan. Cause that's not how I, I live my life to begin with. I, I swear to God, Dave, like, maybe it was six weeks before the pandemic happened and a friend of mine from New York came to visit me where I live in Baltimore and he was like so you know what's the plan and I'm like I don't have a plan he's like what do you mean you don't have a plan everybody has a plan I'm like I don't make plans anymore because every time I make plans they all go to hell and you know the world's got cuckoo bananas and I'm like I have I'm a person who thinks on my feet I'm like I've got general sketches so if something happens, you know, I know how to adjust, or I say, okay, like let's follow this adventure. I like saying yes to things and you know, because you don't know what's gonna like what kind of adventures are gonna happen. Like my entire career is just saying yes to things I thought I couldn't do just because I said yes, and then I'm like, I'll figure out how to do this as <laughs> I'll go along. And then six weeks later, the pandemic happens and he texts me. He's like, Oh, now I get it. I'm like, I told you I never <laughs> plan anything. Because then you're not disappointed. You're not disappointed when your plans You just go, okay, this is what we're doing now. This is what we're doing now.
0: You know, Barack Obama said about this whole winging it thing. He said, if you're not winging it, you're falling. And I kind of really vibe with that because I don't think there's a human alive who knows what's next. And I like this idea that, you know, on one side, you've got people who are saying, well, fate is what it is. You're just walking into it. It's already defined nobody knows nobody ever will know and on the other side of it you're like well tomorrow is a different day i've got a million different directions i can take it's entirely yep. up to me i've got environmental factors to consider you know we never know whether the plane's going to drop or yep. you know a meteor's going to hit whatever but by the same token that that sort of free-to-play approach to, to life i don't think has ever been quite as visceral as it is today and i just think people need that respite from the choice paradox as well and i think that the problem with the internet the problem with social media the problem with everything that we do right now is that we've never had as many influences nor have we had as many opportunities to be the influencer and i think what you've kind of done here with this popping corn job is actually give people wings to fly you you, oh. you you help people to come out of themselves and just just to have a focus for five minutes on something that just feels a bit more like a uh, choose your own adventure you yeah. can take it whatever way you will with this incredible piece of work that you put together and Wait, it I, also I, actually I is it's it's new it's, it i just think it's it's very um it's very freeing because, yeah. you know, if I'm, if I'm about to go and read a book, that's a, it's a hardcore commitment. This is a hardcore commitment, but in a totally different way. Yeah. Um, and I just love that it feels like the very rare is the author who's actually given of themselves. And I think even though this is not about you, and um, there's a lot of things, I love there's a quote in there, falling on a hand-filled six-foot hero that cradled <laughs> Randall's back like a cushion. There are quotes in there that oh, must be no. taking Many people, weeks to come out with, taking yeah. you seconds. Um, yeah. I just love the fact that you are uh, gifting us this. And yeah. it, it just feels so, Marijuana so right helps. and raw. Love it.
1: Marijuana definitely helps. Uh, <laughs> I don't write when I'm high, but I'll have like a lot of my stupid ideas while I'm high because you can, as a writer, you can like pull back and say, like, oh, that's too dumb, but I don't need to pull back here. And you know I, I'm tense all the time. Like the the world is crazy, and I was like, if I can do something that just can like, because you know you don't think clearly when you're tense, and you can say like, oh, I need to have some sort of clarity and focus, but you can't like when all this is going on. But this I wanted to be like it just wipes you. If it like, if it could just wipe you and reset you, you know, and take you out of this, then it's like, okay, I can bring this down and now start doing my job better or thinking better or or planning better for, for whatever is going, because we're in a world where we have to react. We don't plan, we need to react. Like you can, you can have as wonderful plans as you want, but there's 7 billion other people on earth who don't give a fuck about your plans and the, the earth doesn't care about your plans and the aliens that are you know, apparently here that we forgot to talk about, they don't care about your plans. The aliens, nobody's talking about them. Like you think that would, I grew up with the X-Files, thought this would be bigger news. <laughs> uh, like, so, uh, you know, just, I, I, we have democratized information. We have so much and mm taking this and taking the risk and allowing and pushing myself. Like I also love the reader input. Like that's, that's something I like jumping on every week, like seeing what people are reacting to and saying like, okay, we should do more of this or we should, um, you know, I mean, I love the idea of community. I love my readers. And I've always had, um, you know, through social media because Twitter started before um, I started writing. So I really love, I genuinely love every one of my readers and I, tweet them and I, I try to answer their emails because I feel like it's a community I feel like yeah I'm the one writing but this is a club and we're all hanging out together and we're having a really good time like I've ended up introducing people through uh like people who read my stuff that became friends in real life uh you know it's it's a great thing and if I could bring everyone together into Lake Nipples <laughs> 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 I can't, like, that's how I know a joke is good. When I say it and I I literally crack myself up, like, that is just, it's so dumb.
0: It's the world's first decentralized novella in waiting. I see it, you know, it doesn't have ownership. You are the author, but actually it's got a life of its own. Yeah,
1: I I mean, I encourage people to write fan fiction. I'd love people to share it with their friends. I mean, the biggest I've gotten a lot of nice compliments, but one of my favorites was some girl. She said, I got all my friends to subscribe and we have a group chat on our, we have a group text going on. And every week we like read and like we, we wow. talk about it. And that, that I love, you know, I love that people say like, oh, I'm, I can't wait for Thursday or when I drop something. And then I look and, I, and people are already, you know, I'm still growing the readership. I don't have, a. I only, it hasn't even been a month since I, no. uh or I think we're coming up on a month since I started this. And again, it's not a huge readership, but knowing that it's bringing people together or I drop something and then I look and within 10 minutes, like a quarter of my audience has already read it because they've been like waiting for it. Like that's just, that's cool, that's, it's it's really cool. And I I have not had this much fun writing. I don't remember the last time I had this much fun writing. I, I honestly don't, it's just, it's a delight. And I'm, I just want everybody to read it so I could keep doing it. You know.
0: And you've got kind of a slightly different model. I'm going to try and shoehorn in as many ham-related puns here as I possibly can. And you'll realize when you sign up, and we'll give you the details towards the end of the episode, but you'll realize why we are so obsessed with the pig once you get stuck into this. And it'll uh, it'll make you... So the free gig is boneless while you hock the hardcore, which means paid subscribers get the real babe. Now, this is something about... I love the fact that you've got two versions of this. You've got the additional subscriber-only content, the paid subscriber content that really gets into the flesh. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I've not yet been privy to that, and I'm very much close to doing so. But I like the fact that you've you you really do put your paying people on a pedestal. Yeah. And and this is this is a nice model. How how is that? How do you see that playing out? Do you see that? Because, you know, I know Substack's big on this whole idea of, you know, the different tiers. Um, yeah. And I know some people go down the uh, Pantheon model. Some people Substack, some people Twitch. Do you do you see this being 100% written content? Because you've got such an incredibly addictive personality in terms of just talking to you now. It's like some writers are born for text you are a multimedia star and that you're incredibly captivating as a person as well as to receive words from so where do you see it playing
1: um I'm I, I would go you know as far as I could with this like I said if somebody gave me an opportunity to do anything I would you know say yes but I've also gotten to a point where I realize I'm one person like there have been times I'm 41. There have been times in my 20s and 30s where you're like, I can do everything myself. Like, yeah, I want to, uh, you know, um, yeah, do movies and write a thousand books and this and that. And I can't be everybody. I can't be everybody. And when I can collaborate with other people on projects, so like if other people say, hey, we want to do this with you, that's fine. Um, I I am gonna start maybe a little bit of podcasting soon with my husband. Like that would be subscriber oh, only stuff,
0: nice. like five
1: ten minutes stuff, like talking about like euphemisms. Uh, and, <laughs> like my husband's really like my writing partner. He doesn't write at all, but he's the funniest person I know. And we'll just get like we'll smoke a joint at night and come up with like really stupid stupid words um, and like, I'll frame out the story and he says ridiculous things and it makes me laugh and I'll like put it in there. (laughs) Um, So we might do some of that. Uh, I want to eventually start writing short novellas like that would be available on Amazon, like eBooks. But I'm taking it as I go, you know, I have plans but my audience is gonna be the one who decides what I do. Um, the story is mostly free for, cause I want everybody to be able to enjoy it. But if you're paid, like I'm going to give you your money's worth. So you get, there's going to be a whole, th- there's different stuff on Mondays, which is like, there's recipes, there's, um, little kind of fun exposition ways to sell the story that I'm having a lot of fun playing with, like doing text messages and, and news clippings and stuff that like, I can't, you wouldn't be able to do in a novel. Um. You know, if I have a stupid idea, I can do that. I have the freedom to do that. Uh, And I'm going to, I have like, again, this is kind of like, Twin Peaks-ish, EastEnders-ish in my head. There's lots of other stories besides the main story. So I'm trying to find ways to break that out, like the stuff about the hospital. And and if you read it, you'll understand. Like, there's going to be stuff about the hospital and, like, intrigue and the government, like, (laughs) nipples municipal (laughs) government. And, like, there's, like, all these powerful families. There's going to be organized crime. It's great. But free subscribers get the basic Esmeralda romance novel. And if you're paid, you get to explore this entire world and it's just it's I, I also want to build the community we have comment sections uh, I just want to have fun that's it I mean'm I'm, I'm pursuing fun because that's what we need right now
0: pop that corn yes
1: yes how stupid is
0: that that's love- the anthem right that's all we need in life that is such a cathartic change to life life's challenging enough but this is the perfect time to sign up. And remind me, remind me of the web address, the URL where people can go to get um, this stuff.
1: It is legitimatefoodporn.substack.com. So um, yeah, legitimatefoodporn at substack.com. You can follow me at Robicelli's on Twitter. That's R-O-B-I-C-E-L-L-I-S. And all my info is there. Or Alison Robicelli on Instagram. You can see some pictures of my cats and. Nice. <laughs>
0: Don't forget Chonks. You know, the interesting thing about this is that it's the perfect time right now to sign up because if you're anything like me, you're mourning the imminent demise of celebs go dating. You won't have seen this. I don't think you get this in America. You tend, It sounds like you've seen all of the best cereals, but you won't have seen this. And coming up next week is Married at First Sight Australia. So we get our regular diet, but there is a blip. There's a time between Thursday this week and Monday next week where you can catch up with all of the edible erotic adventures of Esmeralda Popping Corn. So this... This is the perfect storm. I'm so excited for you. And it comes in your
1: email. It comes in your email. You could be reading a work email, then you could jump in a port, then you could go right back to work. I mean, everything, guys. everything.
0: (laughs) Interactive, immersive, everything you need, it all in one. Listen, thank you so much for your time. It's been so good catching up, and I cannot wait to see I know, I know. I'm sticking a pin in the map now, and I'm saying... Can you remember this is where you heard Alison Robicelli before she began? And then we'll be talking, we'll be reciting, we'll be listing out all the things that come on from here. But listen.
1: Anytime you want me, anytime you want me, you know where to find me. I love you, Dave. You can, I will hear, be here anytime you need me.
0: Love to you and the big bearded boy as well. And uh, the and the menagerie, uh, I'm sure, uh, great things for 2022. And uh, yeah, I'll look forward to speaking to you soon, Alison. See you all soon. Right.
1: Later, Dave. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Okay. think of your mind as the house and your ears as the doors and windows. I'm going to come as Nick Knowles and buff up your rooms and excite your entrances. Welcome to Thacknology, the world of me, Dave Thackeray. Every day I'm trawling the web and world for ideas and inspiration to make your life a little more lavish. More often than not, it's just a plain old fun factory highlighting things to make us smarter, speedier, and smilier. Don't forget to leave me a message if you want something, anything discussed, regaled on Thacknology. I'm Dave Thackeray. I'm a writer. I like a microphone, but more importantly, I love to hear what you think. So get in, stick around, If only to keep me company. And remember, it can only get better from here. Thanks for being you. And for us, welcome to Team Thacknology.